With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For one more beer for me, exile means quality, so savagely. HN Podcast, Miller and Dace talking about Iowa's 48-31 win against Minnesota. As I said on Saturday, the closest blowout you will ever see as Iowa pretty much dominated this game. And two of uh, Minnesota's touchdowns came on red zone turnovers by Iowa. One horrible decision from Nate Stanley, which is... Not common for him, but Iowa able to do things offensively, scoring at least double digits in each of the four quarters, which for Iowa is an offensive explosion. I rambled on about this for 20 minutes immediately following the game on Saturday. Steve, we'll uh, listen to your thoughts now generally. Well, the margin was about what I expected, maybe even a little less. Um, Minnesota scored way more points than I expected, but I, I, I think you're accurate that Iowa assisted in that effort substantially. Uh, I set my, my man cave and laughed out loud when uh, Iowa went uh, jet sweep with a tight end. I thought that was great. That's, uh, that's pretty much peak Hawkeye Kirk Ferentz right there. But they also had, I think, what will end up being one of the niftiest uh, trick plays we'll see in the Big Ten this year, uh, which ended up resulting in a touchdown. So, you know, the game, and I love, I, I, I don't know if you saw the tweet that has uh, Ference's reaction to the sidelines while they're running this trick play, and he has, like, no reaction at all. <laughs> yeah, he, he, t- he, he took out an old piece of gum, put a new piece yeah. of gum in, and put the wrapper in his pocket. Uh, that is, I mean, those two moments, jet sweep to the tight end, and then, you know, they, the, trick, the trick play to end all trick plays, and he has no reaction at all. Um, it's just uh, that's the Ference era at Iowa, uh, for better or for worse, over the last 20 years, and there's been a lot more betters than worse. And, um, and, and really, Minnesota, even with the injuries Iowa had in the secondary, uh, was just totally outclassed. And, and Minnesota's playmakers, if you're a Minnesota fan listening, you're like, injuries, let me let's tell you about some injuries and and absolutely no team in our league now except for maybe Sparty who we'll talk about in the Bigger 10 podcast has been hit harder by injuries particularly uh, you know they just don't recruit at the depth that a Michigan and Ohio State do where you you're losing a Nick Bosa and you're losing a Rashawn Gary and you actually improve your season defensive stats I mean these are programs that can't afford those kinds of losses and the Gophers have essentially lost every playmaker they have other than the one wide receiver. 
And that's why I thought Iowa would dominate and control this game. I thought they'd run the ball a lot better than they did. And, you know, that Minnesota defense, with the exception of that Maryland game, where Maryland ran all over them for more than 300 yards, has been legit all year. They played really good defense all year. And so maybe you just say Maryland kind of runs this almost triple option offense with the way they use the, the, the jet sweep guy like a wing back, and it's a unique look. And with the exception of that, Minnesota's defensive front has held up against the run all year long. But in the end, the team with the more superior talent and depth, uh, the more experienced quarterback, although at times he made some maddening mistakes. Uh, but in the end, the team that won the game should have by about the margin they should have won it by. Just there were more points scored than probably anybody expected. Yeah, apparently you were amused by the uh, tight end jet sweep. I, I was not amused. I think Iowa was up pretty big at that point, pretty big at that point in time. And uh, Noah Fant had to leave the game, and I believe he went in for concussion protocol because he tried to leap over a would-be tackler and came down and hit the back of his head pretty hard. So uh, I'm not necessarily amused by that play in that particular instance in the game, but I, I get what you're saying. Um, you know, Minnesota came in clearly with one goal in mind, and that was to mitigate Iowa's run game, which if you don't do that, you're probably going to be in trouble against Iowa. And they were daring Iowa to throw the ball very early in this game. And Iowa obliged. Nate Stanley, 314 yards passing in this game. Iowa averaged 8.1 yards per attempt. Iowa's actually averaging over 8 yards per attempt for the season thus far, which is probably one of the three or four best averages they've had in that statistic in the Ferentz era. Iowa definitely doing more through the air this year, had to do that. And, you know, I, I liked many of the offensive wrinkles that I saw Brian Ferentz call in this game. There, there were a few possessions that you kind of scratch your head, and, and there again late it was second and five, and Iowa passed it twice like they did against Wisconsin when they were just starting to run the game pretty well there, but they were 10 of 19 on third downs, really getting it done in third down this year. And, you know, I don't have too many negatives really from this game other than the injuries, and I want to talk about that. Jack Hockaday, it looks like the injury he suffered, not as serious as originally feared. Uh, Kirk Ferentz saying that he will be back, not sure when that will be. Uh, and then Imani Jones came in, who was the uh, opening game starter for three series before he was pulled for Hockaday. He got a targeting call in this game. So I was going to go to Indiana this week, and Imani Jones won't be able to play the first half. Jack Hockaday's not going to be available. They're already down Nick Neiman without Nick Neiman for three to four weeks. And as a result, Steve, Iowa made a defensive scheme adjustment at the opening snap and stuck with it the whole game. They slid Amani Hooker basically down, and he acted like a linebacker. I thought that was a really good move, and when you look at what Iowa has on their plate two of the next three games, um, you know, they've got Indiana this week, a team that really likes to pass. Uh, and then you got Purdue coming up in a few weeks, and, and they also like to pass. I think Iowa might be able to get away with this type of look against most of their remaining opponents, but I'm a little concerned about that for this coming week with Indiana because they've got a very good offensive line. Stevie Smith is a dangerous running back, is a, a fresh face for them. I'm actually – talk me off a ledge here. I'm actually really concerned about Indiana. R right now I'm – I'm not worried about the point spread. I'm concerned if Iowa just getting out of there with a one-point victory. Well, I, I would have talked you out of it until I just looked at the point spread as you were talking because I looked at all the metric numbers yesterday when I had some free time, and 
you know, the metric numbers say Iowa should win, has about a 78% chance of winning this game. But what we're seeing early on in the line is the exact opposite of what we saw this past week, where Iowa opened up way too low of a favorite against Minnesota. And in 48 hours, the line was bet up, you know, uh, by 100%. It went from three to six. And then ultimately it was at seven. Here we're seeing early on, Iowa opens up as a six point favorite, and the line has now been already. The early money has already jumped on Indiana down to four and a half. And um, I, I can see a little bit of why. Uh, I, I agree. Indiana has a, has a good offensive line. I mean, and I don't think they're as good as they were a couple of years ago with Jordan Howard running over everybody. I mean, we, we, when he, that team ran for over 300 yards against us. And, we, you know, they were running on Ohio State that year. So I, don't, I think it's good. It, it might be the best offensive line other than Wisconsin, Iowa has faced this year. Um, it maybe is it good enough to get a stalemate against Iowa's defensive front? Because I think that's the game, that's the matchup that'll decide the game on Saturday, uh, is if Iowa's defensive front can control the line of scrimmage, then those issues on the perimeter that you just described become much less of a factor. If it's more of a stalemate, then those issues on the perimeter with the way they will spread you out, uh, and Peyton Ramsey is is playing much better as a quarterback and starting to really come into his own. Um, then I think those issues on the perimeter, uh, you know, become more of a glaring weakness. And then the other issue, which I think Iowa solved most of most of which on Saturday. Um, and, you know, I, I, I see you tweet about this every so often. There's just certain you, you know, certain times that when you look at the way the defense is aligned and the way they're sold out. You're not running against that unit unless you got Robert Gallery out there at left tackle. Okay. The numbers just, you know, um, the numbers aren't there. Five guys aren't blocking eight or nine. Uh, and I, I saw that Iowa was, was persistent, I thought, against Minnesota more than stubborn. And I do think there's a difference. I mean, you can't abandon the running game, uh, especially when play action is such a key factor and tight ends are the best perimeter weapon you have. Uh, you want to be able to make teams respect those things uh, with, with the running game, at least being visible so that you keep those linebackers engaged that open up that play action and the ability of your tight ends to get down the field and make plays. But I thought that they did a good job against Minnesota of being persistent more than stubborn. And I think for teams like Michigan and Wisconsin and Iowa that are the, you know, and, and to some degree, Michigan State, uh, they run, they're running more of a spread these days. But those are like the last remaining, you know, pro style attacks in our league. And I think when you're going to when you when you when your alignment invites more uh, of the opposition into the box, just be, by the way you align that, you, you know, it's key on game day for the coaches to understand that there is a line like there is you know, between bravery and stupidity, there's a line between persistence and stubbornness. And I think when teams like Iowa lose, unless the other team just has more talent, it's often because the coaches didn't do a good job of recognizing they were over that line. Against Minnesota, I thought they did a really good job, for the most part, of understanding the difference between persistence and stubbornness. And I think that's going to be a key factor for Iowa on Saturday. And I think you'll, 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 because again, I think you got to score some points. I, I, even if your defensive line wins a lot of those matchups, I think Indiana's offensive line is good enough. Uh, some of the skill talent they have is good enough that they can put up 17, 21, 24 points uh, in a game that I think will be a little bit more of a physical, um, even Steven than what you saw against Minnesota. So I, I thought that w the way Iowa played against Minnesota 
was a really good warm up. Maybe that's a tough word, but a, a really good uh, framework for what it will take to go into Bloomington and win on Saturday. But the the early money on the Hoosiers there has me a little concerned. Yeah, and that's I mean that's that's one of the things that concerns me. It can, those kind of things concern you a little bit more uh, than they concern me. I don't necessarily live on the trends as much the way that you do. Although looking at our picks this past week, maybe I should. But uh, and we'll get into that a little bit more in the Bigger Ten podcast. Nate Stanley, I thought it would be interesting to um, take a look at Stanley's production this year through five games versus Stanley's production last year through five games. Now, I, I'm actually pulling this up on the fly, Steve. I haven't looked at the numbers. I have them both pulled up in front of me yet, but I've not looked at his line. I'm curious, what would you say? Do you think Stanley's metrics this year, winning metrics, will be better than what they were a year ago through five games? Define for me winning metrics. We're talking like... Why don't, why don't, why don't, why don't, why don't you define what it is that you're looking for for a quarterback? I'm looking at yards per attempt more than yards per completion because you can always have yak yards. So I'm looking at yards per attempt. I'm looking at touchdown interception ratio, and I'm looking at completion percentage. Okay. I don't care about yards, uh, overall passing yards. I really don't even care about your passer rating because the reality is if, if you're good in those three metrics, the rating will take care of itself. And you may have just had a bad game or even had a game where your team was so dominating the, uh, the, 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 the front that – you just ran the ball, and you weren't really part of the game plan. So I'm going to look at those three things predominantly. Okay. Yards per attempt last year, 7.6. This year, 8.1. I mean, anything over eight is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and nine, when you get over nine, that, nine, that's when you get into, like, you know, Drew Brees at Purdue kind of territory. Right, right. Um, 12 touchdowns to one interception last year this time. This year, nine touchdowns to four interceptions. Well, that's a bit of a step back. And we're counting an FCS game in there too, right? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind. That's a bit of a step back, especially with an FCS with an FCS game in there. And completion percentage, sixty one point seven percent this year, fifty eight point eight a year ago. So I would say overall he, he also doesn't I don't think yet have quite the running attack, obviously, that he had last year with the guy that uh, he had in the backfield that he inherited. So overall, I would say, and you've got reshuffling on the offensive line, the suspensions and the, the guys that left for the NFL draft. So you're, you, that unit isn't probably how, as good as it's going to be in two or three weeks when they all settle down and you know, they, they're, they're more in rhythm together. So I would categorize it as modest growth is what I would say. You'll be surprised to know then that Iowa is averaging 3.8 yards per carry through five games this year, which is not good. Last year through five games, they were averaging 3.4 yards per carry. Akram Wadley himself was averaging just 3.8 yards per carry. And Torin Young is averaging 5.3 this year. Ivory Kelly Martin, 3.6. Mekki Sargent, 3.5. So, yeah, that's that's a bit of a surprise. But really, I I, I haven't looked at this. I'm just doing this on the fly. The defensive metrics, Iowa was allowing – um, 4.1 yards per carry on the ground last year through five games. This year, 2.7. That's uh, absolutely a winning number. Yep. Um, points per game is down about three points per game. Here's a big one that um, this year the biggest difference. Iowa through five games 
18 sacks this year. Through five games last year, 11. They had 29 after 13 games last season. They're on pace for 47 this year. And um, third down conversion percentage for Iowa this year up 5% to 46%, which is a pretty good number compared to 41. So on the whole, I mean, I didn't need to have these numbers to tell me that this is a better Iowa football team than last year. You know, a matter of fact, I think this this offense is maybe the most has you know ex- I use explosive with a lowercase e when I'm talking about Iowa offense. Probably the most explosive since 2014. Better than 2015. Better, I think a better team front to back both sides than 2015. It's just injuries. Can they uh, can they hide a few injuries there? Can the defensive line do some things this week against Indiana and then a few weeks against Purdue? Because one thing, Steve, you noticed Minnesota doing after those first three or four series where Anthony Nelson had like three sacks in the first quarter and he was your Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week this week was they went away from the five-step drops and they went to three-step drops. It's very difficult Mm -hmm. to get sacks. And I think you see a lot of quick drops from Indiana and Purdue. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of RPO. Uh, in quick, in quick uh, drops against Indiana this week. You're right. And one number I'd be curious is to go back. Is, I haven't done this. I did this for, for Michigan. I should probably do it for Iowa. Is I'm looking at the uh, – I'm keeping a chart on your average yards per play per game differential of all the teams in the Big Ten this year because this is the number one stat. All the analytics go by and all the handicappers that use analytics go by. So, like, what's, what's the number when, – when we look at a stat like – well, ESPN FBI's metric is largely governed by a stat that it created called game control, meaning how much did you are you really in? How dominant of a team are you or can you be? And the number one analytic that goes into that metric is yards per play. And so what I'm doing is I'm looking at and I'm not even doing your yards per play for the season because you can have a game where you're just completely great. And then, you know, another game where you're not like Rutgers against Texas State and then every other game this year. So I'm doing it on a week to week basis. What are your what's your average yards per play differential on a week to week basis uh, for every Big Ten team? And I'm throwing out all the games you're playing against FCS teams. So even throwing out the game against Northern Iowa right now, Iowa is tied for fourth in the Big Ten with Ohio State at one point six yards per play differential, meaning. Every time you run a play and the, and the other team runs a play, you're, you're 1.6 yards per play better than them every time there's a snap in the game on either side of the ball. And, and, and Iowa's strength of schedule right now, Northwestern and Nebraska, um, are, I think, are the top 10 teams uh, in the league. Uh, they've each played the uh, top 10 strength of schedule so far, according to Sagarin. Uh, Iowa is next at 25th. Meanwhile, Ohio, and that's including an FCS game. And Ohio State has played the 47th toughest schedule. So against tougher competition than Ohio State, Iowa's yards per play right now is right on par with them and slightly behind Wisconsin, who's at plus 1.8. But Wisconsin's strength of schedule is 73rd, according to Sagarin, so far. So those are the makings of a really good football team. By the way, this week's opponent, Indiana, has been pretty consistent. They've been essentially, they're, they're, they're 0.22, plus 0.22, for the season so far. And then they've been pretty much about a half a yard better every single week this year. Their strength of schedule so far this season uh, is 83rd, second lowest in the conference behind only the team you just played in Minnesota. So 
I think with Indiana, you know what you're going to get. It's just a matter of um, Iowa's level of efficiency, Iowa's level of stubbornness uh, slash persistence. Uh, and then, you know, things that happen, particularly when you're playing a second consecutive game on the road, and that's turnovers. And then you're also going to face that situation with Indiana where, you know, if they want to get to a bowl game, this is a game that their backs are against the wall right now because they're heading into the heart of that East Division schedule the rest of the way. So you're going to get it. I think you're going to get Indiana's best shot on Saturday, just a matter of how good that is. All right. That will wrap up this installment of the HN Podcast. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you soon.